Welcome to Understandable Solutions, the podcast where we discuss business and current events, those important issues that impact our world. Our goal is that you walk away with at least one nugget of useful and thought-provoking information to make your day. Here's your host, Jeff Newkirk. Hey, welcome to the Understandable Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Newkirk. Thank you so much for tuning in. We got another great episode planned, another awesome guest joining us, Mr. Andy Griever. Andy, thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Lots of experience, lots of, we've already had a great conversation. I I think this is going to be a good, good one, a good episode today. Before I start out, I want to thank my sponsor, Outstanding DNA. Outstanding DNA is underwear on a mission. These are great skivvies, everybody. Ultra comfortable performance skivvies made in the USA. Now, 22 veterans die by suicide every day. Outstanding DNA apparel reminds us that we are all outstanding and they are dedicated to ending the suicide epidemic with a portion of all sales going to suicide prevention. In partnership with Fob Razor, a veteran and first responder peer support program. Now, these are great people, everybody. I I encourage you to check out Outstanding DNA. Support the mission and go to OutstandingDNA.com. Get 15% off your first order with the code SOLUTIONS, S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S. Again, that's S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S. Thank you so much, Outstanding DNA. Great sponsors. All right, today on the Understandable Solutions Podcast, Mr. Andy Griever. Now, Andy, lots of nicknames. Uh, we've already <laughs> talked about that a little bit. I called him Greasy. He said, no, no, I prefer to be called Griever Fever. So there you go. I didn't say I preferred that. I oh, I, did, I thought I heard one that. one of the names that no, came across. Okay. No, you don't prefer that? Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> See, we're going to have a good time today. Andy is Capital Project Sales Manager for Anvil Smith Cooper which is a manufacturing company in the oil and gas sector here in Texas. He's a co-owner with his wife, Elizabeth, also been on the podcast, of Everson Cooper Real Estate Investment Company, and they co-founded it in 2016. Andy and his wife host a monthly networking and personal development conference called, excuse me, Inspired Leaders that features speakers from the North Houston area. Now, I can tell you firsthand, this is a great, great group of people that have come together and it is truly inspirational and motivational. How did you and Elizabeth come up with that? Yeah. So I really have to give more credit to Elizabeth. Um, you know, when we started Everson Cooper in 2016, um, yeah. And I think she told that, that story when she was on the podcast, I won't go, you know, all, all the details of it, but basically we spent that entire summer, like two to three months, uh, networking. And because we, we needed to learn what was up and down and left and right. And, you know, just all the stuff. We were basically, you know, trying to get a master's degree in real estate investing and as quickly as, you know, um, you know, the amount of time as possible. And we learned very quickly that if we were going to grow our business, it was through networking. It was through the the people that we knew. Building relationships. Exactly. Exactly. And um, ultimately she had the opportunity to kind of spearhead, um, you know, starting a networking um, opportunity through one of the, um, chamber of commerces that we were a, uh, a part of at the time. And she did that and it was great. And it just kind of started taking off. And, um, you know, ultimately it, it, it the, the path diverted away from that, um, chamber of commerce mm-hmm. and, you know, 
kind of just went independent after that. And that was four years ago, a little more than four years ago now. And it's just taken on a life of its own. And it's, it's more, it's, it's so much, it's less about her and me. And it's more about the people that are there. It's taken on a life of its own. Yeah. But you, you and Elizabeth started it. I mean, yeah, so yeah. you've done a great thing, great thing for the community. And I've been in attending now for, I don't know, three, almost three years, I yeah, think. Yeah, quite some time. And speaker, the growth, so. yep, yep, I spoke there as well. So uh, the growth that has taken place, though, is phenomenal. And it was last week, your last uh, last get-together, last meeting. And how many people were there? We're right around the 60 to 75 mark, give or take. Um, I mean, it's no small thing. I mean, yeah. you got a lot of people coming in. Yep. To hear people speak, and that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, and you know that that kind of gets to some of our goals. You know, we're wanting to get it, you know to keep growing. Um, you know, we want to not just increase the quantity, but we're always looking at the quality. Of course, that's there, and we're so happy with the the quality that's there, and we know that we yeah. can have more quality plus more quantity. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great program. So thanks for all all you do with that. And and you uh, went to the University of Iowa, graduated in two thousand eight, and you are currently. Man, I, have, I it's it's tough for me to say this, uh, but you're currently working on your MBA from the University of Illinois. What the heck is the matter know, with you, I know, man? I know. Yeah, yeah. So one fellow Hawkeye to the yeah, next. Yeah, I mean, you, you know? go from Iowa to Illinois. What what gives? Yeah, yeah. So you know, go Hawks. I, I'm man. I'm I'm black and gold through and through, um, for sure. Except uh, you're going to Illinois now. I'm going to the University of Illinois for my MBA. Yes, yes. Um, uh, you know, look, Gee's, uh, you know, College of Business is, is a phenomenal college of business. It really is. Um, it's, you know, it's a top 50 school. So I'll kind of give you my, my criteria for, for how I got there. So, of course, I live in Texas, um, you know, in, in the North Houston area, the Woodlands. Um, and, uh, you know, I travel quite a bit for my job and we live, you know, pretty, pretty busy lives. So I wanted to get my MBA and, and I can kind of go, you know, the background of why I wanted to get my MBA, not just, you know, to have a degree on the wall. Um, and so I had parameters for what I was looking for. It had to be hundred percent online because it had to be flexible, mm -hmm. um, but I didn't want to just do an online degree. Uh, there are, you know, plenty of those, there's plenty of those out there and, and, you know, I'm not you know criticizing any of them at all. It, it, there's, there's different, um, you know, segments for different people for what they're wanting to do. Mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted to get an MBA from a school that you can see it's, it's there. It's got a long history, you know, it's got a football team, you know, it's got, you know, sports, you know, that, that type of stuff. Because Illinois that's a is a football team? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so hundred percent online had to, had to be flexible. I did want a good school. Um, but I also wanted that, that, you know, um, a fine line between a really good school and I'm not paying three mortgages right. to, to get my MBA. Right. Uh, yeah. And so that's where it, it fits. Uh, and they, they were also one of the longer running online programs. Yeah. <clears throat> truth be told, it is a good program. It is. You know? And, and yeah. A, yeah. shoot, I, I mean, I grew up in Illinois, but yeah. I've, you know, roots are in Iowa. My, my dad went to Iowa. I have so many family members into Iowa. I went to Iowa, of course. Yeah. Um, my dad, I think we talked about this, even played football. football. Uh, he played under Forrest Evershevsky. Right? Yeah, yep. right. Yep. Yeah. Had some great stories. Uh, one of the best stories um, that he told me was he, he was a tutor for Alex Karras. Yep. Now, Hall of Famer Alex Karras. Yeah, who went to play, on, play for the Detroit Lions. Yep. And um, in my dad's own uh, way, kind of let me know that Alex Karras definitely needed some tutoring. <laughs> 
<laughs> he, was, he was a football player first. Yeah, he was. He That's was. okay. He did well for himself. He got into acting too, I think, right? Alex Curtis did. After yeah. That. Yeah. So yeah, he, he, he did a, all right. He had a sitcom. Yeah, he did yeah. very well. He did yeah, all right. No himself. problems at all. So tell us, uh, how did you get to where you are today? You're, you're involved in so many different things. You, you've got a great career. You're uh, involved in the community. You're doing great things for the Woodlands community in North Houston. What got you to where you are today? Yeah, so I've been in the Woodlands since 2008. Uh, after I graduated from Iowa, my first job mm-hmm. was here in the Woodlands. So the community chose me. Uh, I had never even been to Texas before I yeah. got my job in Texas. I never even knew what the Woodlands, I didn't realize it was called the Woodlands. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and I got my first job here and, and I've been here ever since. And and I'd looked elsewhere. Um, you know, as, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a Midwest guy and, you know, three-fourths of my friends that were getting jobs after we graduated in, tw- in 2008, we were going to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love Chicago. I still love Chicago. It's mm-hmm. a great, great town. I mean, you're, you're a Chicago I grew guy. up there. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, I thought I'd get a year or two of experience down here in Houston. I don't know anyone, you know, whatever. Uh, and then I'd go back to Chicago. Uh, mm-hmm. 14, laters, 14 years later, I'm, I'm still here. here. Uh, because the opportunity is so great. Oh, my goodness. Um, it, it is a great community, great state, you know, and, and uh, being here, Having lived in Illinois for most of my life, and and I feel bad saying this because I'm from Illinois, but compared to Texas, man, Illinois is struggling. Yeah. It is really struggling. Yeah, I would say you know not too different from from Iowa. Iowa, you know, they they prosper in, in different ways than than Texas. But I don't have any um, you know strong desire to move back to, to Iowa. I love it there. My mom. Yeah. Lives there. My grandfather still lives there. Still a lot of family there. You know, that's that's still considered, you know, where I'm from. Right. Yeah. Um, but home is, is Texas. I'm a yeah. Texas guy now. So do you know, you should know this being from Iowa, that uh, one of the largest corn producing states in the country is the top, the top two in the United States. Is Iowa. Uh, and Illinois. And Illinois. Yeah. And it, and if they were on their own, if Iowa was a country in and of itself, it would be second to China. I think I have that right. Like China is okay. the greatest you we'll know, producer. It. But so, yeah, yeah. Big producer of corn. Yep. Hawkeye State. We'll talk. We'll take it. <laughs> so how did you develop your work ethic? You are, you work hard. You're always on the go. You're active. How did you uh, get, get this strong work, work ethic that you have? I'm glad you think I work hard. I, I've got you fooled. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> me and everybody else then. No, I, I will say uh, it, a little bit of it comes naturally from my mom. My mom is like the hardest working person I've ever met, ever known. Yeah. Um, just her. So she set a good example for you. Then. Absolutely. Absolutely. She, she's a leader by example. Uh, very few words. Uh, I, I don't even think I could tell you like one thing she's ever quoted, you know, like a quote from my mom. Um but she was, she's the epitome of consistency. She's the epitome, epitome of persistence. And, um, you know, she's, she's made a very good life for herself. Um, you know, there's long stories, you know, she's, you know, single mom. We lived on food stamps for years, you know, when we were kids, three, three young kids, three, you know, I was the youngest of uh, three boys, Southwest Iowa. If anyone's ever been there, it's very rural. Mm-hmm. The, um, you know, the opportunities are pretty scarce, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're a farmer, truck driver, bagging yeah. groceries, working at a factory. Um, so yeah, just to kind of give every perspective, everybody per- perspective, pretty far from Des Moines, the yeah. largest city in Iowa. Yeah, about three hours from Des Moines. Um, yeah, so so where I'm where I'm originally from, Southwest Iowa, about three hours from Des Moines, southwest of Des Moines, about 
hour and a half uh, southeast of Omaha and about an hour and a half north of Kansas City. That's yeah. that's the closest stuff. So that's that's rural. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You're you're out there in the middle of nowhere, cows and pigs, man. <laughs> Corn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, my mom. You know, I I never heard her say uh, we weren't given enough. Uh, I never heard her say oh, it's someone else's fault. Um, you know, we came from pretty pretty meager, you know, beginnings. Yeah. Um, but it was always her choice. It was her choice because she knew she had all the power in her hands to make a better life for herself and make a better life for, for us. And, you know, that's something that she led by example that's, that's always been in me. And it was always foreign to me, you know, when I was a kid, you know, teenager, even, you know, in my early 20s when, you know, people had, you know, lay blame on something else and whatever. And I just was like, I don't know. I just never understood it. Well, uh, I, I never related to it. And I, and I think that's the big problem that we have today. Everybody's so eager to blame somebody else for something that they've experienced. And it, we, we, accountability is just not there. You know, we are responsible for our own actions and we have to take it upon ourselves to, to, to do right, to do the right thing, to work hard. It's not somebody, something bad happens, not somebody else's fault, you know, yeah. move forward. Yeah. And, and, and that drives um, me crazy. We, I, we hear that. I so, I mean, it's every day bombarded with it. I agree. I can't remember who the author was, but they, they did a really great job of articulating the difference between fault and responsibility. Something ha- bad happens to you. You get in a car accident, most likely not your fault. Mm-hmm. It's still your responsibility to make the best of that. Right. And, and, you know, my mom never said that, you know, I said, you know, I can't remember anything she ever quoted, but now as I've gotten older and I've had that, someone articulated that for me, that's exactly what she was doing. Um, you know, to take responsibility for what you want to do. Every day, every day. So you are a, a very successful entrepreneur as well. So where did that entrepreneurial spirit come from? Yeah. So that's something I had to learn. I did not come naturally. I, um, as an entrepreneur, my mom was not an entrepreneur. Um, you know, she woke up very early and went to work, um, worked incredibly hard. Um, but yeah, you gotta be ready to take on substantial risk. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to give a lot of credit to my wife. My wife, Elizabeth is, um, naturally an entrepreneur. I mean, man, she's always doing something. Even when she was teaching. Another hard worker. Incredible. Incredible. Um, so even when she was teaching and getting her master's degree while she was teaching, she had like a side hustle that she was doing <laughs> and not because she didn't have enough money or we you know, had to make ends meet. She just wanted to do something. Um, so she loved, you know, this is gosh, it's, you know, 10, 12 years ago now, but she loved making jewelry. You know, she loves, you know, if, if anyone sees her, she's always decked out in some jewelry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she loved making some of her own jewelry. And so her natural entrepreneurial mind was like, well, I love making jewelry, but maybe I can make some jewelry. I can sell it. And she did. And she had a pretty, pretty successful jewelry wow. business uh, That's while cool. she was teaching. And so she did really well for herself. Does um, she still do that? Uh, periodically. Yeah. yeah. She's kind of gotten away from that. Um, but uh, Too busy know, on the other. On, on everything else. Other thing else. Yeah. yeah everything else. But yeah. So, so when, you know, long story short, when, uh, I, I, I had left teaching years ago. Uh, I was, I was a teacher from 2008 to 2013. Um, and then she was, uh, was a teacher from 2010 to 2016. And, uh, you know, so when I got out of teaching, I, I went into sales, um, got a, got a job for a, uh, distributorship. Um, and so I turned around and I started selling, um, you know, the, so I, I was a coach, 
uh, as well, high school football and baseball coach. Mm-hmm. So I'd been around sports my entire life. And so I got a job at a sporting goods distributor. So I turned right around and sold all the coaches um, that I'd been, that I'd known for the last you know, five years and whatever. And that was an opportunity for me to learn how to sell. Um, I didn't have to learn about the products. I, I'd used all the products before baseball gloves and pats mm-hmm. and helmets and cleats and whatever. Use those in my entire life. Right. Um, so I had you know, 28 years of experience at that point of using the, the equipment, the products. So I didn't have to have any product training. So I spent that first year learning how to sell. Less so on the entrepreneurial side, but more on the on the sales mm-hmm. side. What do you do to, to get to you know find new customers, close the deal, get repeat customers, things like that? Listen to a lot of Zig Ziglar. You know, I didn't know Zig Ziglar at the time. Uh, so uh, Chet Holmes, one of the best. Oh, I, I know him now. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, Chet Holmes uh, was one of the big um, big guys that uh, I was listening to at the time, and he he had a big seminar. He, his thing was how to get anyone on the phone. And it was actually really pretty powerful because I had to do a lot of cold calling um, because, you know, schools don't just let you walk in. Um, you right. know, that's a whole other opinion. I get into that. Right. No, they shouldn't. Yeah. Um, and so, so I had to get these coaches who lead very busy lives. I knew their life, mm-hmm. uh, what their schedules were like. So I knew that I had a very small window of time to get them on the phone. Um, and then also I needed to make sure that I had my elevator pitch. It was compelling and that they would buy from me. And so Chet Holmes was, was really good. He was like, man, how do you yeah. get past the gatekeeper? How do you make something that's compelling? How do you, you know, come across you're, you're incredibly articulate? And uh, I'm probably not going to get the statistics correct, but I think he said that tone was much more important than actually what you say. And so how, I would agree with how that. you say it, you know, you have a, you know, more, more deeper controlled voice right. rather than, you know, someone who ends in a high inflection, like, Hey, would you buy from me? Yeah. You know, rather than like, Hey, would you like to buy from yeah. me? I've got these great confidence. new cleats. What do you think? Exactly. I've got these new cleats. Yeah. Yeah. The difference. <laughs> and I was like, man, that's incredible. Yeah. And, you know, we, right. would, we would go through stuff and, you know, model and I'm like, man, and actually and it worked. I, you know, I started having some success. Uh, I, I knew very, I knew nothing about sales. I was like, man, maybe this stuff does work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ultimately, yeah, long story short for kind of getting to the entrepreneurial side of things, 2016, um, we decide to open Everson Cooper real estate investment company. And, um, you know, prior to that, the book that really kind of changed, you know, my perspective, especially kind of, you know, flipping over the coin, right. Uh, was rich dad, poor dad. And oh, I read that book. Robert and, and that's Kiyosaki. Talking about Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. Incredible. Good um, stuff. I mean, every, I think every, that's like the real estate investors Bible, yeah. you know, um, every entrepreneur probably has that on their bedside table. Yeah. Yeah. And that, really kind of changed my mind because up until that point, you know, I was 28, 29, you know, 30 years old at the time. I, you know, the, the life that was modeled for me was get a good job, go to work, work hard, right. You know, get good, you know, good benefits, put stuff away in retirement. And hopefully by the time you're 65, you'll go play some golf. Exactly. And, you know, I was like, Oh gosh, maybe, maybe I guess that's it. That's, that's what life is. And then I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I was like, whoa, yeah. no, that is not, you can do whatever you want. That's right. Yeah. yeah. A whole different mindset. Yeah. 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 So, and ever since then, I've, I've, I've had to constantly hone and be aware of how entrepreneurial uh, that I am, that I'm, you know, that I'm thinking. And um, the other thing that really helped kind of change my mindset, because it was, it, was, it was a huge mindset shift. I had to kind of reinvent myself uh, from, from what I had known in the first 28 years of my life. Uh, a lot of deep habits, right, mm-hmm. um, was the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. 
Uh, and I think that was uh, that is critical. I think that's Stephen Covey, um, mm-hmm. seven uh, seven habits of highly effective people. Yep. Um, and he talks about that. I was like, oh my god, I I had a fixed mindset. I have right. X amount of dollars. That's all that I have. I'm yes. gonna have to save it. Yep. I don't know how to make more. Um, well, I have so many hours in the day. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so rather than looking at you know looking at the world from a lack, looking at the world from scarcity, it's dude. The world is huge. The mm-hmm. world is, is, is vast. It's abundant. Um, and if you have that mindset and you look at things through that, you know, those lenses, right. You can go totally different, you know, and for lack of a you know better cliche or anything like that, you can go do whatever it is that right. you want. Yeah. The world is your oyster. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I love that. And, and I, I think I grew up the same way. You know, my, my dad was a nine to fiver and you know, then retired and, I think, you know, I didn't strike out on my own until after he passed and, you know, there was timing and everything else uh, going on with that. But I think he would have, I know he would have been like, you're crazy. You know, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, you just stick with what you're, you stick with your job and then you retire. But that's, there's so much more, you yeah. know? And, and I knew, I just knew if I did things on my own terms that I would, be able to have a stronger, more positive impact on people and on businesses. And I'd like to think that I have. I, I, I can tell you that, uh, you know, I've said this before, I've never worked harder, never made less, and I've never enjoyed it more. Yep. yep. You know? That is like the entrepreneur's mantra <laughs> right there, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, everything happens over time. You know, you can't yeah. – I, I think the other thing that people really struggle with is that – they think it's going to happen immediately. Yeah. Right. You know, so I started on my own in November of 19. Well, what happened in March of 20, <laughs> you know, yeah. we were told, stay at home. You can't go anywhere. You want to meet somebody, turn on your computer and go on zoom. Yep. You know, Hey, uh, you want to work with me? Nice to meet you over zoom. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Not going to happen at all. So you got to persevere. You got to keep your faith and persevere. And, uh, but I love what I do. I know you love what you do. And uh, everything happens over time. And, and I firmly believe that if you do the right thing, you work hard, the money's going to happen. It'll happen. Yeah. But you, just, you, you have to have your priorities lined up. If you're doing something for the money, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. Well, and it's, it's – I was going to kind of add to that. It's, it's not necessarily what you're doing. It's why you're doing it. Absolutely. You know, if, if What's you your wanna, purpose? If you want to have a, a, you know, a nice, nice title in a corner office and you know, wear a suit every day and have some nice money coming in the bank every single day, you know, whatever. Yeah, go, go, go do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to have time freedom, you want to have, you know, maybe you're serving a larger purpose. You want to have some flexibility. Um, you want to make your own, make your own hours, make your own thing. Well, then that's probably not for you. You want to go be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, that's, I, that's one of the things that I, I did learn from, from my grandfather, um, you know, is that it's not what, it's why. You, know, right. you, you can go whatever it is that you want to go do. Okay. As long as you can answer why you want to do that. Yeah. Did your grandfather know Simon Sinek? He did not. Find your why? No, no. Oh. Pri- uh, pri- you know, maybe Simon <laughs> Sinek, uh, you know, took that from my grandfather. Yeah, yeah. probably. So good segue to the next question. What are some some good life lessons that you've learned that would – you know, that our listen listeners would really grab, grab. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, one of the biggest um, you know people in my life is is my grandfather. He he basically was the 
you know, father figure in my life, um, you know, from, you know, when I was a little, you know, a little kid. Um, I mean, really until now he's 96 years old. He's still going for it. He's still, he's still good for him. He's uh, yeah. He's still, still around, still, um, still an entrepreneur still at 96. 96. What is he doing? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, it's funny that you mentioned that. So, you know, kind of going back to, to real estate when we, uh, and Elizabeth and I decided to, to get into real estate, you know, we looked at her grandparents, um, Mm -hmm. and you know, they were in their eighties still making money, still like quote unquote working. Like what? What are you doing? Um, and they were making nice money, and it wasn't coming from the government. It wasn't their retirement. It wasn't coming from their board. That's fantastic. It was coming from their real estate and uh, properties, what their real a, estate portfolio. What a great example! And then so same thing on the other side. I didn't even know this until 2016 when we got into real estate. I always thought my grandpa was a farmer. Uh, you know, again, Southwest Iowa. You know, has a yeah. bunch of bunch of land, whatever. Uh, no, he's not a farmer. He owns the land. And so he was. So able, he rents it out. So he rents it out. Wise so, man. Yeah, yeah. Now, now he knows the craft, and you know, so he knows how to evaluate it. He knows if the yield's going to be good. He knows, you know, if the field needs maintenance. You know, if it needs terracing and whatever. And I'm probably losing right. some people on what I'm talking about here, unless they're unless we're, they're from Iowa. They're we're, like, we're, they're right like, there with talking, you, man. Keep, keep going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, so he he knows the craft, but yeah. uh, no, he he owned land. And so he was able to acquire that over time. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want anyone to think that my grandpa was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. That's, you know, no, that happens over time. time. It's, you know, every yeah. year you, if you have a good year, you know, and that land becomes available, then you, you know, maybe buy 10, yep. 20 acres or whatever. But over the course of a lifetime, a career, you know, you get, I don't know how many acres he has now, but you build yeah. up to a thousand, two thousand plus acres. Yeah, yeah. I think he's got close to five hundred. Um, and you know, when he was younger than me, he started out with forty, um, and just kept. You know, he reinvested, and when land came available, he bought it. That's awesome. Um, you know, made very little money um, at the, you know the time because he kept reinvesting it. Um, but yeah, he. Uh, so he's he's an entrepreneur. He he had his own um, had his own. Uh, they they called it a you know I guess like a, a general store or whatever, uh, so they had a gas station. They had he sold Maytag um, appliances. It's an awesome story about just how like entrepreneurial and well, wasn't sales Maytag minded. made in Newton, Newton, Iowa? I think so yeah, I, I think yeah. so. Okay. Yeah. So um, this this I, I love this entrepreneur this this sales minded story and and I, again I never knew that my grandpa was you know this entrepreneur this like sales guy you yeah. know. Um, Anyway, uh, so this is the late 60s, early 70s when like the poppy seed, you know, red um, uh, appliances are really, really popular. And so uh, where my grandparents lived, they lived behind, uh, you know, the store. Um, so they had, you know, they had a diner, they had a gas station, they had Maytag uh, appliances, and probably they had like buckets of nails and hammers and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, it's like back in the 60s, right. you know, you literally had this general store, right? Anyway, um, so these poppy seed appliances are really popular. Well, my grandmother wanted the poppy seed appliances. So got a fridge and a micro, you know, no microwave at the time, fridge, oven, you know, and whatever else. Uh, well, she comes home one day and the, uh, the oven is gone and sold like, the oven. She's like, Arlo, that's my grandfather's name. Arlo, where is my oven? Oh, and he's like, Oh, well, uh, you know, someone stopped in uh, at the store and wanted this uh, oven and we were out of stock and he didn't want the, uh, you know, white one or whatever. So I sold him yours. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I just absolutely <laughs> love that story. And he, that wasn't the first time that he did that either. My guess is there was some negotiating too. 
Oh, I'm sure. You're like, well, it's uh, Arlo. I don't know if it's worth that. Oh, it's definitely worth that. Plus, yeah. plus, look at the color. You're not going to get this anywhere else. Yep. Yeah, I can just yeah. picture that. So that's one of my favorite stories. And uh, it like that kind of serves like an inspiration for me. It's like, okay, like there is some, there's some sales DNA. There's yeah. some entrepreneurial DNA in me. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. Good for you. You know, you made a pretty drastic career change. You know, you were in education, you yeah. coached. And uh, then got into the corporate world, sales entrepreneur. So, what what was it that motivated you to make that change? Yeah, you you kind of alluded to it before. You know how you make such a large impact by doing what you're doing. You know, you never worked so hard, made so little, but had you know so, so much fun, so much fun. And you know, I kind of got to that point, the opposite um, in teaching. Uh, you know, I got into teaching one because my my perspective was a very very narrow. Uh, up until that point, you know, I was 22 years old. Whenever I got my first job, all I knew was sports and school. That's mm-hmm. all I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't in school. I was playing baseball. When I wasn't playing baseball. I was either sleeping or in school, probably sleeping <laughs> in school. Um, and uh, so that's all that I knew. Uh, and I knew that I wanted to coach, um, you know, again, because that's all that I knew. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got into it and absolutely loved it for the first four years. Um, you know, learned a lot, learned a lot about myself. Made a lot of mistakes, probably way more mistakes than, than successes. So I, I know you had one year that was not the greatest with regard to wins losses, right? <laughs> so you went, you had an over year, you know. And, well, and that, you know, talk about rewarding, right? I'd never lost so many games, but actually, you know, felt like we were. But that's when you really efforts. decide: is this yeah. what I want to do? I mean, can I really? Yeah. Withstand? Well, and and so so it wasn't it wasn't necessarily going over twenty four. So yeah, the, the the story is. I, I um, mean, I just was going to say yeah. over, but over twenty four. Oh no, no, let's put a number on it, man. Yeah, <laughs> well, let's let's measure this thing. Uh, yeah. So okay, so so before I tell the over twenty four story, um, so ultimately I got to the you know beginning of my fifth year of teaching, and it just felt like Groundhog Day. Like it was just the same year over and over and over again, different kids, same problems, different kids, same problems. And it wasn't even the kids. I don't want anyone to think that. Absolutely loved 99% of the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more about just the system and the bureaucracy. And I got into teaching because I really believed that I could make a drastic difference mm-hmm. on the lives of kids and, and, and how schools um, you know, went about teaching kids. And I realized that pe- people didn't really care. They didn't, they didn't really care. The leadership of a lot of schools didn't really care to make about the different kids? changes. No, mm-hmm. not about the kids, but if, if, if someone said, hey, we have this really drastic different idea, but it can be just amazing. They'd be like, eh, that's not the way we do things. And oh, you're just like, okay. as a teacher, as a young, ambitious teacher, just full of energy. I was just, just yeah. like, shot down. What do, yeah. you, what do you mean? Totally deflated. Yeah. And so I was just like, man, am I going to do this every year? Just kind of be disappointed in how the decisions were made. And the, the ironic thing is I was getting my master's in education administration at the same time. I finished all my coursework for education administration and quit teaching. That's ironic. Oh my gosh. Ridiculously ironic. Um, but unfortunately I kind of learned how the sausage was being made and I hated it. Yeah. I loved the kids, loved coaching. Um, you know, there's, uh, some absolutely really incredible stories. Um, and some, some kids that, you know, like I, I, have goosebumps right now just thinking yeah. of like some of the stories and some of the kids that we made connections with and like so when we went we went on we 24 so i was the head jv baseball coach at a uh school um you know in uh, in houston and uh, it's not a traditional baseball school it's a football school 
I was a football coach. I was a linebacker coach there. We had some amazing kids. Some, some. I'm glad that it was not a traditional baseball school because <laughs> over 24 would be pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, rough. Um, so yeah, not a traditional baseball school. Um, and uh, so you know, at that point, I was you know whatever 27, 28 years old, um, and I, I'd been around baseball my entire life. I knew baseball just inside and out. Um, I knew every piece of thread of, of, of baseball, how to be a catcher, how to be a pitcher, how to you know, everything. Um, Astros fan. And uh, no, so I'm, I'm a Royals fan. I'm a Royals. Wow. Fan. Okay. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking maybe you're going to say Cubs or. So or I did. Royals. Okay. I, I didn't, right. I did watch the Cubs quite a bit because of WGN. Thanks to you know Harry Carey. Exactly. Oh man. Um, but uh, really, truly now that I don't have a dog in the fight anywhere else, I actually really am a Royals fan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, and my, my brothers would, would come through the door and, and whip me if, if I didn't say that I was a Royals fan. All right. Well, we'll stick to it. Stick to it. <laughs> Royals. Uh, their famous uh, third baseman, Ken Brett. Is that right? George Brett. George Brett. George Brett. George Brett. Yeah. One of the greatest yeah. hitters ever. Never. My yeah. oldest right. brother's right. favorite baseball player, George yeah. Brett. Yeah. He was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Incredible. Talk about like some tenacity, you know, grit, man. Oh, my gosh. One of the guys that you would never want to mess with, no. George, George Rett. He'd get up in your face. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so we go 0 for 24. So I'm the head JV baseball coach. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these kids, they're, 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 they're competing. I mean, Houston, if people don't know it, Houston is just a hot, hot, hot bed of baseball. Just absolute talent. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, these kids, like, didn't even pick up about a ball or a glove or anything until the first day of practice. And they're going up against other high schools where these kids are playing year round. You know, these kids are walking out there on the field and they look like, you know, me when I was, you know, playing college baseball and they're, you know, 15 years old. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Um, so anyway, so it was a tough, tough season. Um, but it actually really was the most rewarding season because, you know, I had just incredibly high expectations you know, I was like, okay, like we're gonna, you know, we're gonna teach these kids, and we're I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a chance to to teach them how to run bases. They didn't even know how to run bases. You oh know, my gosh. Like they, you know, on a pop fly to the outfield, they didn't know what to do. Um, now, was it because they were economically disadvantaged, or just a uh, just didn't have a yeah, chance to play baseball? Or yeah, I don't, I don't want to put it just on on that. Uh, it, it was a multiple title, things. It was a Title One school, um, and I mean. You know, baseball takes money. It's one of the more right. expensive sports to to play. I mean, just a baseball bat itself is—I don't even know—several hundred dollars. Right. Uh, and you know, unfortunately, some of these kids are coming from places where several hundred bucks. They don't even see that for months. Yeah. Um, you know, so so they did have some things. They did have you know have some some headwinds. Um, but I mean, they were eager to learn. They were eager to play. They loved it. They loved the baseball, though. It was incredible. Um, they just weren't very good. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so uh, about halfway through the season, you know, I, I, you know, we start the season. I'm just high, just incredibly high expectations. And uh, about halfway through the season, or whatever, we're you know, like over twelve. I'm like, oh my gosh, over twelve, man. I, I've never been part of a baseball team that went over. You know, we we were able to squeak <laughs> and out. You're only halfway there. You know, we were able to like squeak out. You know, the ball bounces in a funny way. We get a win. We're able to do something. You know. Anyway, so we're about halfway through the season, and we're playing basically the other worst team in the district and is not going well. It is just not going well. So and you're losing to the next we're losing worst like team. Nine to two. So it wasn't even close. Oh no, it was bad. It was bad. And <clears throat> it was not my finest moments. Um, Elizabeth, 
my wife, of course, was was in the stands. She wasn't my wife at the time. She's uh, we were engaged. Um, but she and, still uh, stuck she with was, you. She was in the <laughs> after all this. <laughs> she was in the stands, and so the kind of the the, the flashpoint moment uh, was. Um, so we walked a batter. Somehow, that turned into an inside the park home run. Okay, you're gonna have to tell that. Just so, how does that happen? And, and okay, maybe, maybe it wasn't a walk. I think it was like a swinging bunt. Yeah, it, it, it can't be a walk because um, the, the 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 it's a dead ball after the, after walk. It's a swinging bunt. So like the ball doesn't go past the pitcher, and that turns into an inside the park home run because I think he throws it over the, through the first pitcher, base, overthrows first base, back up. You know, right fielder runs over. over right, right fielder, of course, wasn't going in and backing oh. up first base because you know they just don't know the fundamentals, and so the first baseman has to go run. And so by this time, the first baseman gets the ball and he's rounding second base, so he throws it over to third and makes the error and it goes past third baseman. Kid runs around and scores. You know. Truly, like the bad news bears. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. So anyway, and you know that then you know the score is like nine two, ten two, and whatever, <laughs> and this poor Gatorade bottle with water in the uh in the dugout and i just i just pick it up and i just like slam it against the back dugout wall and i didn't say any four little words uh because there were kids around but elizabeth knew that that was me and i had my phone in my my back pocket you know of my of my pants and she's texting me just like over and over and over and over again and she's <laughs> texting you during yeah. the game yes because she texted me in all caps she was like you need to shut up we can hear you and i was like Oh my gosh. You checked your phone? Because it was like buzzing in my back pocket. I was like, <laughs> what is happening back there? Because she usually doesn't text me during the game. And then so I like check my phone and it's Elizabeth. And I was like, oh no. Yeah, but if you didn't say any four letter words, you know. But I just, you know, I was like yelling and screaming and, you know, she, she heard a water bottle get thrown in the dugout. Oh boy. So she was like, all right, I got to get a hold of this guy. So I, uh, and, and how that ultimately becomes rewarding is I realized that that season for those kids wasn't about winning baseball games. It was about learning how to play. It was about learning how to be part of a team. And then it was, for me, it was about being a better leader. I was yeah. a horrible leader at that point in the first 12 or 13 games. Because well, it was all about winning. I think you're probably being a little hard on yourself there, but you know, bringing those kids together, no matter where you win – one game or none doesn't matter. They're still, like you said, learning the game, and and more importantly, they're learning to to play a sport with other yep. teammates. Yep. They're part of a team. They're part of something bigger than themselves. And when they feel like, you know, they've had nothing in the past, they haven't participated in team sports, and now they're part of a team. They're part of something that means something. Then they have value. Yep. They feel like their presence is something important. And you can never take that away. Yep. And you built that, man. That's pretty, that's good. Well, and, and the last point that I'll make on that about how I was, I, I was, I was pretty being, being a pretty terrible leader at that point because I was kind of taking the joy out of the game. And these kids are 14, 15 years old. That, that's, that's horrible. Um, and I realized I don't need to do that. I need to help teach these kids how to play this game and have fun. So they want to play next for. year. So they want to play next year. Because yeah. how terrible of a coach are you if you drive all these kids away from playing baseball? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that 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 kind of woke me up um, that I knew that I didn't want to be that type of coach. I didn't want to be that type of a leader. 
Um, and I, I remind myself constantly of that when I'm maybe taking things too seriously. Um, when I'm not having fun with something, when I can see other people aren't having fun, like, all right, well, what, what can we do to get some joy into this? Because life's too short to, uh, it is, but when you're going an offer, I mean, it's, and and I've, I've coached in the past and I've had, I've been on, I've coached teams that were nine and oh football. I've coached teams that were oh and nine. And I can tell you the oh and nine is rough, man. Yeah. Especially fun. when you got parents that are like, you know, breathing down your neck. And why, why are you playing that? My son in that position. Well, we would have won if he were, you know, over here or whatever. Very difficult. Yeah. Got to yeah. keep it all in perspective. Yep. So, man, this has been great. Uh, what a, several nuggets of useful information. But uh, out of today's conversation, what are one or two that you want our listeners to walk away with? Man, uh, if you're not, well, I guess if, if you're struggling to be an entrepreneur or, you know, you're, you're you know, up against it or, you know, the, the market isn't good or, you know, whatever, um, you know, I, I try to remind myself, um, you know, why, why is it what you're doing? Right. Um, and so for, for us, for me and Elizabeth, you know, we, you know, every, every day and every year has not been amazing. Uh, it's been, been tough. And I think Elizabeth said, Elizabeth has shared some of those stories where we've lost a lot of money on certain things. Um, but what's your vision, you know, and, and that basically answers the question, well, why are you doing what you're doing? Um, and, um, I so, love that by the way. So it's, so it's, so it's vision. What is the vision that you're creating for yourself? Um, second is you have to have determination um, Amen and, to that. And you have to have consistency. And, um, man, those are words of wisdom, right? So, there. Well, thank really. you. I, I mean, I, I've, you know, stolen them from everyone else. Yeah, but it's so important. So important. Yeah. Because we forget about it. You know, determination is, you know, we challenges come our way. What happens? Yep. Well, what, you know, that's somebody did that to me. I'm just going to quit. Yep. No. Persevere, man. Yeah, yeah, and I think if if you have the vision for what you want to do, for where you want to go, uh, and you have the determination to get there, and you follow that up with consistency, I think you know the hard work is going to come. Um, the success is is going to come. Um, it's not going to come overnight, and you're going to have times where you are successful, and then you're going to have times where you're not, and you're going to question yourself. But when you go back to well, what is my vision? Why am I doing this? Uh, you're going to continue to find the reason why you want to get, get past that. I guess in the last thing I would say, this is complete, you know, I'm stealing this from Mike Rowe, uh, the host of Dirty Jobs. <laughs> Dirty absolutely jobs, love yeah. this guy, man. He is like a modern yeah. day philosopher. Absolutely love He's him. He's great. And, um, you know, the, uh, the, the cliche is, you know, follow your passion. Right. Um, I, and, and this rings so true to me. I did not follow my passion. I, I followed it for a period of time. And then I, kind of lost the passion, the, the sizzle was gone. And I found, you know, when, in a career transition, when I left teaching, I just was like, man, what am I going to do? I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know. Do I, is this what people do? We just, yeah, just go to work and they're just completely miserable. And, um, one of my best friends, he was a groomsman in our wedding. Uh, he came out to see me, um, kind of when I was going through that transition and I kind of was like talking with him, you know, over a beer or something. And I was just like, man, is this what people do? Just, you know, they just go to work and they're just completely miserable. Does life really suck this bad? I, yeah. You know, and, and he no, looked at me. No, it does not. He looked at me and he was like, dude, that sounds terrible. No, 
no, you shouldn't do that. And I was like, oh, okay. And so going back to Mike Rowe, you know, he, on Dirty Jobs, he features all these people with just these wild, weird, you know, septic tank cleaner, trash bin, whatever. Yeah. And, um, you know, his, his quote was, you might not be always be able to follow your passion, but make sure that you bring your passion with you. And I think for me, that is 100% true. You know, I got into sales and I had no sales background. Actually, my perspective of sales at the time and it was like slimy car dealership guy, <laughs> you know, whatever. Used car sales in a <laughs> yeah. leisure suit. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And when I had the opportunity to get into sales, I just was like, ugh, I guess. But <laughs> but I, I brought my passion with me to understand how can this be good for me? How can I make this good for myself, for my future self, for, you know, we, Elizabeth and I had just got married and I brought my passion with me. And as I, as I kept my passion with me, the, the entrepreneurial side started to uncover itself, the sales, you know, being good at sales and enjoying sales and yeah. seeing how that is, can be a powerful vehicle for what Elizabeth and I want to do with our lives um, is, is incredible. So I'd say, you know, you, you may not always be able to follow your passion, but make sure you bring it with you. That's awesome. So here's a question for you. How often do you give inspirational talks? Never. Up to this point. <laughs> Dude, uh, you have a, yeah. you have a calling. Oh, well, thank you. You have a calling. So I, I see something in your future, and you're, you're going to be doing some inspirational talks. Seriously. Well, thanks. Thanks. You, you've got a gift there, so don't don't forget it. Don't lose it. Thank you. Keep it going. Will do. Thank you so much for coming, Andy. This has been a great conversation. I appreciate all my listeners checking in checking into the Understandable Solutions podcast. Uh, how do people get to learn more about Andy Griever? to come and give an inspirational talk and more about uh, Everson Cooper. Yeah, so EversonCooper.com uh, and then Everson Cooper on all the social platforms. Um, I am uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Andy Griever. Uh, I'm not anywhere else on social media. I, so I, I am on... Yet? I, I am on um, Instagram at, I think Glo will be. at Global Griever. Um, we didn't even get into global. Oh, that's okay. We're going we're to talk about that. Yeah. Though. Yeah. So that's, that's my, that's my Instagram, but um, yeah, check us out uh, all the, all the Everson Cooper platforms. Okay. And I truly, truly believe you got something in your well, future there. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks, this has been a great conversation and everybody. Uh, I hope you got again, as always, at least one or two nuggets. I know you did out of today's conversation with Andy Griever. And I want to know what those are. You can email me at jeff at understandablesolutions.com and let me know. Let me know what you got out of today's episode. And I also want to thank my awesome sponsor, Outstanding DNA. Outstandingdna.com. Go to that website. Your purchase. 15% off your first order with the code SOLUTIONS, S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S. So again, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you had a great day. I hope tomorrow's even better. Peace, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Understandable Solutions. We hope we met our goal and remember, that was for you to walk away with at least one nugget of useful and thought-provoking information to make your day. And tell us what that is. We want to know. Be sure to review us favorably on your favorite podcast platform. 